0: Hi, I'm Debbie Shore, and this is Add Passion and Stir. The events in our country over the last weeks and months can make every one of us feel helpless, powerless, and even paralyzed. However, now more than ever, we need to stand up for those who are being discriminated against, those whose rights are being threatened, and those who are voiceless. Share Our Strength works hard to do just that, especially on behalf of children, by ensuring they have what they need to grow up healthy and strong. Our guests on this episode of Ad Passion and Stir, Chef Tony Maas and former Timberland CEO Jeff Schwartz are taking action. Jeff says that sitting on the sidelines and being an angry victim just doesn't cut it. My brother Billy wrote an email to the staff of Share Our Strength after the horrific events in Charlottesville last weekend that urged, don't be silent. Listen to this episode of Add Passion and Stir and decide how you can best use your voice.
1: We're in Boston today with Tony Maas, Extraordinary chef and restaurateur from Craigie on Main Street and Kirkland Tapp and Trotter. Yep. Tony, welcome. Thank so you you're so here. much. Oh, so excited to be here. And Jeff Schwartz, an old friend from uh, many adventures with Shara Strength, but for quite a long time was the CEO of Timberland, the boot and clothing company, and an extraordinary philanthropist.
2: Billy, it's a pleasure.
1: We just got together in, um, you know, it was, we hooked up in the, uh, uh, the waiting room here, and the first thing we started to talk about was food, which is kind of one of the central themes of of what we talk about at Add Passion and Stir. Jeff generally brought two bottles of wine. Uh, how do you pronounce it, Jeff? Castel? Castel. Castel, and uh, one for me and one for Tony, and then we started talking about Tony's restaurant and Andy's husband's restaurant, Andy's been on this show, so I'd like each of you to just tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when I was growing up, being a chef was not cool at all. There were no blogs or websites. You know, the only thing that was on TV was, um, you know, Julia Child. That wasn't like there was the Food Network. So it was never, um, it was never presented to me that like this was even an option. But I've always been completely in love with food. You know, there's one story. My parents um, bought a brownstone when I was really little in, in the South End. Before the South End looked like the South End today, and they had, they rebuilt it, you know, themselves. So for a long period of my my small childhood, I didn't even have a kitchen. So we went to Chinatown all the, all the time because it was close and it was cheap and it was fun. And it was an easy place to take kids because we can make a mess and no one cared, you know? And so I grew up like looking at things hanging in the windows and, you know, different parts coming to the table in a, in a Chinese restaurant. And, and I, uh, in kindergarten in, in the Boston public schools, um, the teachers thought it'd be really cool to teach, you know, quote, teach us like how to use chopsticks. And i was like this is what are you talking about teach me how to use chopsticks like and we had a contest and i beat the chinese girl and made her cry (laughs) (laughs) so so from from ever like i've always just been around food before there was ever a conversation of like foodies or or this thing and uh you know 15 years old time to get my first you know again in quotes first real job what did i know at 15 years old summertime and I, i was on martha's vineyard and i ended up washing dishes and i was like this is the best job in the world like The intensity of the kitchen, the teamwork, you know, just watching everybody and all the dynamics of how people were working together to make something happen, to make a bunch of people happy. Plus, I thought it was really cool that I got to eat all the half eaten lamb chops that were coming back. You know, (laughs) like this is amazing. I'm 15 years old. This is such a crazy life. And I kept on doing that without anybody ever saying, hey, you should do this. It just was the job I had in high school. Then it became a job I had in college. You know, I was lucky enough to go to the University of Michigan and um, got a degree in psychology because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I'm glad I have the education, but when I graduated, I stood on the corner of South State and South University and said, "You know, now what?" It just I, I had to find this myself, and I think that's that's also terrific for me and probably for a lot of people. Like, no one told me to do this, right. and I kept on coming back to it. and And at some point, I think I realized that I was actually okay at this job. Um, worked for Chris Lessinger, which was a you know the first. Um, real job, I think I I could say at a restaurant here in Boston. This so this was at the East Coast Grill East Coast and Grill. Andy Husbands yep. was my boss. Wow. Um and uh, you know, that was my introduction to like I'm committed to this as a craft, as a as a profession. And I was a prep cook uh there and, and Andy was my boss and that's how I got to know, you know, him, obviously. And we've been in touch ever since. And uh got introduced to the Boston restaurant scene and, and kept on thinking that maybe someday I would go to culinary school. Um but I was the kid that came in early and stayed late and read everything I could ever, you know, imagine and uh, came in on my days off to work with other stations to, you know, learn other things that I wasn't sure of. And before I knew it, I knew more than the kids that were coming out of culinary school. So I just kept on that path and kept on cooking. And, and you know, but but going back to the grandmother and I was saying to you, Jeff, you know, and at Craigie, I mean, I've got a picture of Bubba Hannah um, overlooking our kitchen because that was um, that wasn't just walking into her house and smelling the matzo ball soup. I mean, that was a huge part of it, but it was also where everybody came together, yeah. you know, and not just on holidays. It was, she lives pretty close to us where I grew up. And so it would also be the random times where, hey, I could be over there and I could run into my cousins and I could run into whatever. And we'd always end up at the table. And the fact that that table drew people together, and those are the, some of the fondest memories that I certainly have. And I think, that's, I think that's true of a lot of people. Like a lot of our early fond memories are at tables, Eating food, so that's also how I got you know connected to to share our strength. I mean, I don't know where the chicken and the egg was, whether you found us or we found you, because um, it was so long ago at my first place, Cuddy Street Bistro. But it just seemed like, wow, we're talking about bringing people together. That's what this is always
1: about. And Jeff, you you were at least smart enough to marry somebody who can cook well, because <laughs> I I've, I've eaten at your house and I know it's Debbie and it's not you, but. um but family's really at the center of your life. Uh, you've got three sons, and now I think two of them are married and grandchildren and you know talk about that how the, what that experience has been in your family. what
2: tony said is is right i I come to it through a different lens. Uh, I was sitting at the table uh, when the food came out because otherwise it wasn't going to come out if I was cooking it, uh, and it wouldn't have been delicious if I was but and so for me the 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 table and the food has always been the 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 stage. On which the the real drama of community and life gets gets told and uh it's i was very moved by what you said because uh all the stories of our family are are built on a table and so, you know you sweat the details like is that the right table and then the truth is it doesn't matter at all and yep debbie sweats the details uh, to make sure that that the the stage is set but the drama that takes place at the table is is uh, that's where that's I think how family got built and I think that's how family endures and yep there are recipes which which are cool when the kids got married um, debbie copied out by hand like mom's eight things Mom, debbie Debbie bakes bread for every Friday night, uh, and uh, it, it tastes different every time. And so there's this silent moment between after you ritually wash your hands, and Debbie says the the blessing for the bread, and she slices it. It's all in silence. you got to listen. You have to sit in silence until you receive a piece of bread and eat it. And then it's funny to watch the kids' faces as they get older, and the, now the daughters-in-law and grandchildren— everybody has the same reaction well this one's good this one's different it's it's this personality uh of that only can get it's the safety that food creates and the context that it creates and it's it's um it's incredible uh the 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 way your pulse comes down and your heart comes up when you sit around a table with people that you care about and you share food
3: i find that um you know food is i mean obviously it tastes good and we look forward to the food itself maybe like you know the challah right yeah, you yeah. look forward to that itself but at the same time it's all the other uh, senses that get used with food that are that become part of your emotions and that becomes part of the sentimentality of you know how we look back how you can walk into someone else's house and smell something and all of a sudden it takes you someplace else yep. you know where you once yes. were so evocative of, so right, evocative of, of an and experience. those are usually i mean 9 times out of 10 those are like the happiest times those are the great times and i think that's what You know, when we first, as a chef, we get asked to do so many different things, which is an honor to be asked. And there's only so much we can do. I wish I could do more. Um, So we narrowed down our focus to saying, hey, if people ask us, you know, about anything that has to do with Cambridge, that's really important to us because we're in Cambridge. And if anything has to do with hunger, like, clearly that seems like that should be something that we're involved in. And kids, it just seemed like kids. And I think that's, you know, one of those things. It's like kids should grow up with these memories, you know, with these emotions, like they should be able to look back at some point in their lives, that food is something that was important to them. So the idea that just to tie a share of strength into this, like there are kids out there that might not have that opportunity that aren't being provided with food and the happiness that comes with that. To me, it's just like, it's just revolting, you know? And that's, that's That's a different
2: spice. My dad tells the story, family story of growing up at the table. And I sat at that table uh, once or twice. And he said, they all sat to dinner, the four of them, the two parents and the two sons, and the parents watched and the kids ate, because that's how much food there was. And they weren't they weren't poverty stricken, as he describes it, but when, when he talks about growing up as a kid, that image of the four of them at that little round table, they they had to be at the table together, but mom and dad were watching while the kids were eating. That's a different spice, a, a different memory spice that... that I think he thinks about every time he sits down to eat. Right? His parents are long since no longer alive and he's a great grandfather. But that 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 memory, that sensual memory of putting something in his mouth while his parents didn't, I know, that's pretty and so Billy, that's one of the share of strength things that you taught me from the beginning, which is that there's a conceptual thing and then there's a, this notion of bearing witness when you talk about 16 million hungry children in america it's just you, you lost me already I, I because i can't conceive of that but when when my dad tells the story to his grandchildren about watching his parents eat uh his parents not eat at the table that's that's the the grounding of this thing like you said it's a smell and a sound and a feeling it's the five senses plus your heart and all of a sudden
1: it's real Jeff, we talked about um, what you were doing at Immokalee, but we didn't talk about like why you were there, or, like what you were doing at Timberland, how you got to be CEO. Tony told us a little bit about his path. Tell us a little bit about yours. It's, it's a company that was an, in your family for many years. Uh, your father and his father before him sold recently, maybe the last five years. Um, but talk about, I guess, how you came to be CEO and particularly what different kinds of things you tried to do with a company. I think Tony is a great example of somebody who, as an individual, has found a way to use his business and use his skills to not just have a successful business in the community but to make a difference in people's lives, whether it's volunteering at Share Our Strength or teaching nutrition education to families. But you tried to do that on a, on a, uh, on a company-wide scale as well in terms of corporate social responsibility. So tell us a little bit of the story of your path and what you tried to do.
2: Well, narratively, my grandfather came uh, to America in, in 1925. He was a Jew in Tsars, Russia. I don't think he was a religious guy, but uh, you didn't get to choose about your identity. If you were a minority voice in that context, your identity was pressed upon you. And the, the only sort of affirmative choice he ever made about that was, he. he I don't know how he formulated this, but he said to himself, I'm glad to trade that, right? So he He walked from near in the ukraine to to hamburg on the day the first day he ever saw an ocean he climbed into a ship got into its belly and sailed across it so we're talking about a courage that that i it's just not i can't comprehend it and he sailed past liberty but he was in the belly of the ship it didn't matter he couldn't have read the poem anyways because he didn't speak english and he got to ellis island they asked him his name and they didn't like it so they changed it and he was okay with that because america's offer was you trade your name and your culture and, and 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 the language you speak but you can call yourself an american and he was glad to make that deal uh he wasn't educated uh, but he but he had principles and he got to boston and i'm glad because if he'd stayed in new york I'd have, I'd have been a yankees fan and and so he, he started working in the shoe business selling how to do and uh when he retired on social security a proud patriot to amer to F- florida he lived in an apartment that's that was smaller than this he lived on social security he was a taxpayer he was a patriot he believed in america he believed like springsteen get debts no honest man could pay he believed in america and his kids went to work for him and uh when when it was time i went to work for my dad not because i had any interest in the shoe business or interest in business but my grandfather was killed by a drunk driver and uh the only place i could recapture the smell of my grandfather was in the factory and i didn't I don't know what smell is all about, but I smelled the leather, and that was my grandfather. I wasn't ready to let that go, so I didn't become a doctor. I became a mediocre shoe executive, which is a great narrative trend in terms of identity. And now I'm an unemployed boot salesman, so you can see this hasn't gone, this hasn't gone, so, gone so well. But the truth is, um, it took me 30 years, and this is why what you do is impressive and inspiring. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. It took me 30 years to figure out that the question is not what do you do with today but why are you doing what you're doing? I had the wrong question forever. But like, and Western education is all about what? Like, two and two equals what? No one ever asks why does it matter? I sure as, Heck, didn't. I was very task-oriented and goal-oriented. So I, I I didn't think about why. And when it crept up on me and grabbed me by the throat, I thought, I don't know. I can't imagine that my purpose in life is boots and shoes and clothes because not exactly anybody coming into a Timberland store naked saying, shelter me, right? I, I was trying to sell people something that they didn't need, but I wanted to make them want. Fine. But then I asked myself, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is purpose? And that's how we got into the question of social justice in in, in our business. It was selfish. It was to soothe my savage soul. It wasn't uh, altruistic. It was uh, it was deeply needful. I I wanted a purpose beyond making the quarter. And that's why uh, that's what drove me into this conversation about commerce and justice. And the funny thing about it, good brand builder, right? Uh, what I thought was a, a personal thing wasn't at all. It was a deeply collective notion. People at Timberland wanted to serve. The people that we served wanted to serve with us. It was. I thought it was an insight. It wasn't. I just woke up to a truth that was broadly and deeply held. Timberland didn't invent the outdoors, right? And Timberland didn't invent justice in the commerce world. We just uncovered the, that, that notion deeply held in consumers' hearts. I don't believe in the cynics, I don't believe in the ones who are screaming that he is my president, he isn't my president. I don't believe in in, in the the only—the election's not over, right? People are still running for, I'm the victim. I, I, I want to be the one who wins the I-got-screwed election. I, I got screwed? No, I got screwed. You know what? I don't believe any of those voices, right? that's They're not asking the right question. The right question is just what you said, which is, okay, here's what it is. Here's the world around us. Now, what are we going to do about it? Because that's our responsibility to think about why we're alive, not what we're
1: doing. So we're talking about, we've made a couple of references to the election. We're having this conversation, I guess, maybe 10 days since the election of uh, Donald Trump. And a lot of folks, certainly uh, in Share Our Strengths world, we've seen a lot of folks uh, who've reached at least the conclusion that I've got to get more involved you know people whether whether whatever your politics were most people were still surprised by the result and I think it led a lot of people to say I need to you talk about stepping up your game I think people said you know I've been I've been sitting back and not playing much of a role uh, in our nation's future or in in my own neighborhood's future and how do I do that um, one of the ways Jeff that I know with timberland was so instrumental in this um, was Leadership, not just at Timberland, but with City Year, or an organization founded here in Boston that you chaired the board of for a number of years, but that created this opportunity for young people to really get involved in ways that they n- never had a vehicle for doing before.
2: I think that uh, e- there need to be sort of three elements here. And what Tony said is right. The first has to be a a, a listening heart and a willing heart. That's some version of the same thing, because um, there, there are half of the, of the american populace that said uh, i have a strong opinion but it's not so strong that i'll go to the voting booth and vote so that's that may be a listening heart but it's not a willing heart and and so necessary condition people got to be willing to do more than than be riders on the storm like the song they got to be in the game somehow but then there needs to be a game and it isn't a game it needs to be a a uh, a, a broad um um circumstance, a broad network of of citizen engagement, because not one size fits all. And AmeriCorps, at least it was originally conceived before the government did what the government always does, which is mean well and execute poorly. Uh, AmeriCorps was the notion that from the youngest to the oldest, from the richest to the poorest, really Dr. King's view that everyone is great because everyone can serve. I mean, how much more democratic a notion, small d, is there in uh, Western liberal uh, theology Then the notion is everyone is great because everyone can serve. And City Year was, in its early days, the highest amplification of that. They showed you that whether you were in a wheelchair, whether you were black or white or yellow or green, that uh, you could make a difference in your life and in the life of the community around you. And it might just be, line of sight, it might just be your, your, your city block, but atomically, if on every city block, you know, in Japan, in Japan, all citizen services organized by neighborhood. It's not by city, it's by neighborhood. There's a neighborhood captain or whatever it's called. Someone's in charge. You know, it makes a ton of sense. If we looked after our own backyard, as long as it wasn't by building a fence and locking our neighbor out. But if we were looking at our backyard as our responsibility, you looked at yours and I looked at mine. I don't need anybody else's help. We transform the world, and that was the notion of citizen service at City here and it still is the notion. Not that it's the it, the charter schools are good or bad. Not that the union is right or wrong. Not that the imported money is good or bad. But educating our children is a is a human right. It's a civil responsibility, and we are absolutely we're we're, we're guilty as sin as a as society. We should be furious at ourselves. We, we, we had a big conversation in Massachusetts about charter schools. One side won, another side lost, and nothing mattered anyways because whoever w- w- won... In this election, you think four years from now, public education is going to be better in Massachusetts? We had millions of dollars to debate an issue. The issue is now not debated. And you know what happened on Monday morning? The kids came back to mediocre education experiences at your kid's school and my kid's school. And I'm telling you, that is as a citizen, not a, it's not a question of unacceptable. It's the end of the world as we know it. REM was right. And and what are we going to do about that? maybe it means you're going to hold your kid's hand on the walk to the school and help them with his homework. I don't know what else to do, but I know sitting on the sidelines and being an angry victim just doesn't cut it.
3: So how do you get people off the sidelines? Because I feel, you know, I work with, um, I, I say, I say this with all due respect, because I'm both blessed and, cursed to work with people in their 20s. That's when you own restaurants (laughs) is what we do. So, you know, I'm surrounded by 22 and 24-year-olds, which is keeps me young and and is a whole lot of fun, and and the energy can be fantastic. And there's also, you know, there is a different, I don't want to say lack of activism, but sometimes I get the sense that they think that the world is just happening around them, and, and they don't really know how to jump in, you know? And we try to make our mission really loud and proud at Craig Yaman and Kirkland Tapp and Trotter. But, you know, it's like trying to get people, like hold their hand and like bring people to a share of strength event and open their eyes. Like this is something that, you know, means something.
1: Um, As we wrap up here, tell us what's next for each of you, both personally and professionally. I don't know, Tony, if there's another restaurant in your future, um, (laughs) how you're going to manage to continue to do what you do and stay as involved in the community. But um, what are you, what are you thinking about for you?
3: I mean, I, I, Sort of going back to uh, some of the things that we were just talking about, I, I think that this recent political bout is has made me think differently. Um, and and I'm, I think that's the, just the question I'm asking. The same question I'm asking of you. I'm, I'm looking for my own bullet points. You know, what are the, what are the things that I can do? How am I going to have an impact? And I know that sounds um, a little generic mm-hmm. and broad, but that's just the period I'm in right now is is a little introspection thing. Like I, I've. I don't know where my more time in my day is yet, but I'm going to find it. And, I, and that time is going to go to my son. And that time is going to go to my wife. And that time is going to go to my businesses. Absolutely. But it's also going to need to go to other people. And maybe there are going to be ways where I'm going to combine some of those things. The inviting people to my table. Maybe there's another way I can look at that. Because that is what I do. Um, but I think it, it it needs to be more than what I have been doing and, and maybe that's not because of the time. Maybe it's just where I'm at in my life. Like I've, I've gotten to the point where it's just become a a greater priority. So I think it would be, um, I'm not going to say that another restaurant isn't ever in my future, but it's not my immediate one because I just don't feel like that's personally what's motivating me right now.
1: I think, I think you probably speak for a lot of people in describing what you're going through. How about you, Jeff, aside from taking Tony and I Israel with you, what's next?
2: Uh, tony described it very beautifully i uh there's this dialectic uh of the need to 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 solve and and soothe your own soul by going in and asking the questions of uh that that are elite questions of you know who am i and what's my purpose but uh while it's while i wish i had better language for what that that in gathering of spirit and energy is about i know it's real because but the dialectic is at the same time that i want to draw in and and Cause I'm running out of time. I'm the oldest guy in the room. I also have to rush outward. So this, this notion of drawing in, I got to strengthen myself because there's only a certain amount of, of, of energy left to fight the fight. And then you look around, the, the it's just sharp and starkly clear that uh, I have to give everything I have away without limit, energy, resource, imagination, uh, because uh, I can't stand the encroaching darkness. And so there, it's a dialectic i got I, it's an internal motion and an external motion at the same time and um uh, i pray for the company of good teachers like the two of you as that process uh goes on for me and for other men and women uh, of of who are committed to the the common good and good purpose and um, I don't care uh, how you voted I, because that's one act. I, first, all, I do care if you did vote, but I care. I don't care who you voted for. I really care about what you do now that you voted. Um, and so, if you want to build a, uh, you want to build the beloved community. Uh, I've got something in common with you and uh, something to learn from you.
1: Well, I hope we can keep this conversation going at one of your tables or or, or, or at one of ours. Um, Fabulous conversation. Um, you've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Short. Tony Moss, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And for all you do in the community, you've really inspired, I think, so many people. I feel like I've uh, I learned a tremendous amount just sitting here with you two. So thank you, guys. Thanks. And Jeff Schwartz, really, just our I think our history goes back almost 25 years. And uh, it just gets richer and richer. Thanks for being here. Shabbat shalom. Thanks. The Share Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty, and that in these shared strengths lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making no kid hungry a reality in America. Ad Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Ad Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.